Welcome, Masketeers, to the next episode of Circuit Court Entertainment, where we look at how laws and history have affected all sorts of entertainment. And boy howdy, do we have it all for you today. Because January 1st is Public Domain Day! Yes, dear Masketeers, every January 1st, a lot of new items become free for everyone to use, watch, read, or so many other things. While some people decide on their own to add their work to the public domain, the majority of works enter the public domain due to legal limits expiring. The one that everyone is talking about this year is Mickey Mouse, or rather, the Steamboat Willie version of him, aka one of the first talking cartoons from 1928. Mickey is far from the only one entering this year in the U.S., but in the U.K., the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, who died in 1973, are entering the public domain. So if you want to know why we have such a different public domain rules, it's time for our story to begin. And it is a tale told of greed, tragedy, and control. To begin with, what does it mean to have a copyright? And what is the difference between that and trademarks? According to the U.S. Copyright Office, anything that is created by humans then, for the most part, fixed into some sort of physical medium, gets a copyright. While there are some exceptions, scientific discoveries and recipes and cookbooks cannot be copyrighted, if it's creative and by a human, it's under copyright and the copyright owners have exclusive performance and distribution rights. Any use by others has to be either approved by the owner, is provided in either an educational aspect, or is somehow transfigured in such a way that is considered something different enough. Copyright won't apply. This is a rather subjective category, so items that are parody or satire can still be hit by copyright issues, even if they are transfigured. For example, according to filmstories.co.uk, Austin Powers ran into legal trouble with James Bond. The James Bond's right holders have always been on the more severe side of copyright, and they had grown increasingly frustrated with Austin Powers' James Bond parodies. While they unsuccessfully complained about The Spy Who Shagged Me's title being too similar to the James Bond film The Spy Who Loved Me, the third film, Goldmember, had to withdraw all of its marketing due to a complaint by MGM and Don Jacques. While it was eventually resolved with negotiations between the two sides, considering how obviously transfigured and intended as parodies the films are, should give you an idea for about the subjectivity of these rules. When something is in the public domain, it can be distributed and transfigured without the creator's consent. For example, consider Frankenstein. The book is in the public domain, and anyone can read or adapt Frankenstein as they wish. But if you look at non-Universal Studios adaptations of the creature in Frankenstein, you may notice a few differences. The 1987 movie Monster Squad's Frankenstein uses human-looking skin and no bolts. On the other hand, 2010 doll line Monster High's Frankie Stein is a girl with a different shade of green skin and scars in different places. The newest version of Frankie in Monster High has even more changes. This is because the monster design is copyrighted by Universal, and they can, and have, sued over skin color, bold scar placement, whether or not they have a flat top head, and so on. However, there are two caveats. One is if something is prominent enough, it can't be used to suggest things. 
For example, I can't use Steamboat Willie to suggest Disney-authorized brass knuckles I would sell online. The other caveat is trademark. Trademarks, unlike copyright, are eternal. To quote the U.S. Copyright Office, a trademark protects words, phrases, symbols, or designs identifying the source of the goods or services of one party and distinguishing them from those of others. People have used trademarks to circumvent copyright. While characters can only be trademarked if they are prominent enough, it can be a way to keep them out of others' hands. For example, a previous Disney character, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, is trademarked currently, though Oswald's storied history is for another episode. The discussion of copyright versus public domain is shepherded by two school of thoughts. People who are pro-copyright feel that it forces people to be creative and allows creators to be secure in the knowledge that their work can support themselves and their family. Pro-public domain people argue that it hamstrings creativity and, and doesn't allow things to be shared or adopted into culture. Now that I've talked enough about what goes into copyright, what did enter the public domain in the first of this year? And thank you, Duke Law, for keeping such good track of this info. Well, Agatha Christie's Murder on the Blue Train and several classics of the Harlem Renaissance, such as Dark Princess by W.E.B. Du Bois, along with German versions of the Three Penny Opera and All Quiet on the Western Front. Yes, their original versus translation are separate copyrights. For children's books, The House at Pooh Corner, which introduced Tigger, and Peter Pan are all entering the public domain. Though Peter Pan has a perpetual copyright in England due to the fact that the profits from licensing Peter Pan support a major children's hospital. The movie side of things is a fun mix between silent and talkies. The first deliberately billed Laurel and Hardy movie, Should Married Men Go Home, is now in the public domain, along with Buster Keaton's The Cameraman, Harold Logan's last silent film Speedy, and The Man Who Laughs is also entering the public domain. It is well known for inspiring the Joker's appearance. As a side note, Batman will enter the public domain in 2034, but that Batman is the one that uses guns. The previously lost The Passion of Joan of Arc also enters this year, but only the silent version. It was found in a janitor's closet in Oslo Hospital in 1981 after it was feared lost and is considered one of the most important films of the silent era due to its use of cinematography, lights, and close-ups. The Last Command and Street Angel are also entering the public domain. Respectively, they have the first Oscars for Best Actor and Best Actress. Compositions and recordings are considered separate categories. So if you want to record your own takes of the following songs, go ahead. The Marx Brothers' Animal Crackers, the German version of Mac the Knife, the McDonald's mascot Mac Tonight is probably another copyright question I should look into, Cole Porter's Let's Do It, I Can't Give You Anything But Love Baby, and of course, Make It Whoopee by Gus Kahn. However, feel free to use the following recordings. However, feel free to use the following recordings. Billy Jones's Yes, We Have No Bananas, seven different songs labeled X Blues, such as Southern, Moonshine, Down South, Tin Roof, and Wolverine, and the non-blues song Charleston by James P. Jones. So why is this important right now? 
Next time you watch a movie or a TV show, and that person is watching something not made for the movie, such as a news report on a plot point or Angels with Filthy Souls in Home Alone, see what it is. There's a decent chance it's one of three movies. Night of the Living Dead by George Romero, It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart, or Charade with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. The reason why is simple enough. Due to small errors with their copyright, they and several other movies such as Santa Claus vs. the Martians are in the public domain for anyone to use. You can go and watch Charade right now on YouTube, and it's not legal. Woo! But also, everyone kind of realized that was really messed up. Why should any sort of media get put immediately into the public domain because they forgot to properly cite the copyright, or maybe some files got lost in the mail when reviewing the copyright? These movies and others' films were released before and during the Copyright Act of 1976. But in 1989, the U.S. ratified the Berne Convention, which roughly allowed for absolute control over what the U.S. considered copyrightable. The Berne Convention states it to be a minimum of life of the creator plus 50 years. These rules allow copyrights and profits to work for people who publish it at the end of their life or who die suddenly and make sure their survivors can live and control their legacy. However, the Berne Act also allows for the length of the copyright to be increased. So the U.S. pushed it to 70 years, which it shares with other countries such as Normandy, France, Italy, Sri Lanka, Brazil, and South Africa. But the U.S. had a different problem starting in 1998, the Copyright Term Extension Act. You see, it's more like 90 to 95 years, depending on the material. And that is due to one person. It's not Mickey Mouse, though Disney did lobby a bit for it. It's Sonny Bono. Sonny Bono was an actor and singer, most well known for his club act with his second wife, Cher. They worked together from 1962 to 1978, working as singers and entertainers the entire time. Most well known for I Got You Babe, they had a career resurgence as host for comedy TV series in 1972 until 1974, where they separated. They still came back together occasionally, including an attempt at relaunching their old comedy show after Cher's successful solo run, but did eventually fully separate and only reunited for two surprise singing appearances, the last one for David Letterman in 1987. Cher has gone on to have a very successful singing and acting career, including winning an Oscar, releasing 27 albums, and being so well-known she only needs one name. Sonny Bono went into politics. He started off in local politics with running for mayor in Palm Springs, but in 1995 he made the leap to the national stage. Being a former entertainer from California, he had a few pet projects, one of which was copyright, namely attempting to expand it. In 1997, he was a sponsor for a bill to delay copyright for 20 to 25 years, one that passed soon after his sudden death in 1998. I don't know if it would have passed without Bono's death, but the fact it is named the Sonny Bono Copyright Act, and it passed the same year of his death by a unanimous vote, very much shows how much it was affected by it. And with that, copyright was held back for 25 years. To put it in perspective, 
1925's The Phantom of the Opera, one of the classics of the silent film era, is in the public domain. The Technicolor and Speaking version from 1943, the one that is put on the Universal Classic Monsters Collection DVDs, should have been in the public domain in 2013. What should be entering this year is items from 1954, such as Kirk Douglas and Disney's version of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and On the Waterfront. So, yeah, we're a bit behind. I don't want to blame the mouse for all of it. After all, you know who else should be in the public domain by now? Batman, Bugs Bunny, Zorro, the first few seasons of I Love Lucy, the first two James Bond books, all of the Universal Classic Monsters with Creature from the Black Lagoon entering this year. Animal Farm, Pippi Longstocking, Goodnight Moon, and The Wizard of Oz. Everyone blames Disney for this, but it really should be spread around. I'm not entirely sure how to reverse the freeze, but in 2019, the U.S. saw its first major introduction of works to the public domain, and in 2024, we're getting some more. As we get to the end of today's public domain day, I hope you've learned a few things. One, this is at least partially Sonny Bono's fault. He's also dead, so I feel bad pushing the blame on him, but I honestly don't know if it would have gone through otherwise. Two, the morality of copyright is a bit of a thorny matter. The rights of the creator versus the rights of the public are not easily separated. Who has the most right to a work and how soon after creating it was difficult even before the internet and the piracy got involved. And three, there is so much more art entering this year than just Steamboat Willie. We are so very behind, and I really hope that the delay can be rescinded or at least modified so bankruptcies can release things prematurely. But in the meantime, we have new art to freely enjoy, remix, and share. Now, if you excuse me, I'm going to go to Project Gutenberg, the public domain book website, and read some Agatha Christie. Thank you for listening to Circuit Court Entertainment. If you found this episode interesting, please tell others as this is a new podcast. Please subscribe on all the major podcast services. And you can find me on Twitter at CCEPod. This episode was written, edited, and recorded by me, Mina. The script was edited by CJ Peterson. Podcast art by Empress Cirque on Twitter. Thank you for your time, and I hope to hear from you soon. Bye!